0: voice and your interests as a writer.
1: Well, before my memoir, the three books I've written have been satires. And I think that growing up with parents from the Soviet Union, growing up partly in the Soviet Union, telling Brezhnev jokes you know was just how people bonded, making fun of the government, making fun of the ridiculous system. So I think I always grew up with a very kind of jaundiced eye, just looking at things very skeptically. That's not a great way to be as a person but it's a great way to be as a writer. Most writers I know are probably not going to win Happiest Woman or Happiest Man of the Year awards. They just aren't that happy. And especially the funny writers, I notice. The funnier you are, the more I think there's a tragic undercurrent.
0: Now, why do you think that is?
1: Because I think humor is one of the highest forms of tragedy there is. People talk about the serious novel and these sort of hallowed tones and how important it is. and But I think a lot of the humorous stuff, books by writers like Sam Lipsight and even writers like Mordecai Richler in Canada, who's no longer with us, these are some of the most funny and tragic books I know because humor doesn't work unless you're making fun of something that keeps paper-cutting you throughout your life, something that keeps hurting and hurting you. And that's why parents and relationships and the political system are such delicious targets. Hmm.
0: The really depressing thing, um, it, w- which is both depressing, painful, and funny, the way you tell it is, there was this comment your father made to you, it sounded like not that long ago, and he said, I think by then you were a successful writer, and he said something like, yeah, well, a friend of mine told me you're, nobody will ever remember your books.
1: Though the actual quote was, I read on the Russian Internet that soon you and your novels will be forgotten. <laughs> oh. <laughs> which which I loved so much that I remember taking out my phone and just typing it down. It just sounded so awesome and so almost Old Testament. Soon you and your novel will be forgotten. <laughs>
0: and there's so much very that. I read on the Russian Internet.
1: I read on the Russian Internet. So some Masha from Minsk said, you know, whatever. It never really ends. You can be a a big success, but if Misha for Mormons says you're a schmuck, then you're a schmuck. (laughs) (laughs) I thought I heard overtones
0: of kind of Soviet hatred of the capitalist pig Americans in there, too. You know, so the Russian Internet says, soon, you capitalist writer, your works will be forgotten.
1: One of the headlines, not the headlines, but one of the reviews of one of my books in Russian was, Balding Traitor Betrays Motherland, so... (laughs) (laughs) There's a fine tradition of that. But I remember watching a documentary where Woody Allen goes back to his parents and his mother, and they say, well, how do you feel about all your son's successes? And the mother said, "Eh, I still think he should have been a pharmacist. (laughs) So it never ends.
0: Yeah. So I want to go back to your very beginnings as a writer. You have a wonderful memory of writing your first, admittedly very short, novel at the the tender age of five, I think.
1: Uh, What was it? Lenin and his Magical Goose. My grandmother was a journalist for Evening Leningrad, a newspaper in Leningrad, and she said, can you write a a small novel for me, and I'll pay you a a slice of cheese for each page you write. And I loved the Soviet cheese. I was very excited. So I wrote 100 pages for 100 slices of cheese, and it was called Lenin and his Magical Goose, and I loved Lenin. There was a huge statue. The biggest statue of Lenin in all of Leningrad was right outside of our building. And so I wrote a a novel in which Lenin meets a magical goose from a southern clime, Armenia or Georgia, let's say, and they invade Finland and they create a socialist revolution in Finland. They make Finland safe for socialism, but then a fight breaks out between Lenin and the goose, and Lenin eats the goose because (laughs) the goose is Menshevik and Lenin is Bolshevik. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's a (laughs) five-year-old kid, but, you know, in Russia, a five-year-old could be a a pretty well-educated kid.
0: Yeah, but that's such a dark and depressing story. I mean, already (laughs) with the betrayal.
1: Already with the betrayal. Already political arguments are breaking out. Geese are being eaten. But it's tragicomic when you think about it.
0: Yeah. Well, so then there's another kind of key moment in your development as a writer. It's Some years later, you've emigrated to the U.S., where you are, of course, one of those deeply unpopular, picked-on kids at school. What didn't they like about you?
1: You got to remember this is 1980 and it's the Evil Empire era, Reagan's Evil Empire speech and the movies are out there, the Red Dawn, Red Hamster, whatever, you know, it's just it never ends. So the kids are pushing me into the wall and screaming Rusky and Kami and all that. I'm pretending I was born in East Berlin instead of being born in Leningrad. I'm in a Hebrew school. I'm trying to get Jewish